welcome to pratidwani where we try to humanize science i am your host jv pawan kumar before i introduce you to my guest uh, let me thank all the listeners for their excellent response as you know uh, pratidwani is a non commercial podcast and i run this in my individual capacity so your feedback is important for us to improve the production so please share your views and thoughts i am on twitter and facebook and i'll be glad to interact with you now to the interesting part in this episode i am delighted to introduce you to my guest seema sharma seema is an experimental particle physicist who was also part of the experimental discovery of higgs boson at cern geneva she is an associate professor in the department of physics at the indian institute of science education and research pune and is also uh, an experimental collaborator at large hadron collider at cern geneva which is one of the largest if not the largest experimental physics laboratory in the world she also holds the leadership position of deputy spokesperson of india cms collaboration which uh, essentially comprises of uh, 15 universities and institutions across the country in this episode we discussed about her journey from rajasthan rajasthan to tfr bombay then to fermi lab in the us cern geneva in the europe and then uh, to icer pune we did a deep dive on uh, understanding what it takes to be an experimental physicist we discussed about the role of uh, conceptual understanding of uh, various topics in physics and science and how it actually can help in doing uh, some cutting edge experiments she further revealed uh, her understanding of doing mega science projects in large collaborative networks and how it has influenced her uh, thinking also there was an interesting discussion on the role of mathematics and uh, statistical analysis in uh, experimental physics and uh, how we use it as a language to understand uh, beautiful science we discussed about uh, mentoring of students and how learning is a two way process in such an interaction we also discussed why it is important to be aware of uh, history of science and how uh, it can make us better scientists and finally there is a small and nice segment in hindi in which uh, seema explained about her research and motivation the show notes of course contains all the references and links uh, which were part of this particular discussion i encourage you to have a look at it seema is a very valuable colleague of mine and over the past decade or so i have had uh, numerous and enjoyable discussion with her on science research education mentoring and many more things so as i expected this conversation too was uh, thought provoking and very enjoyable and i am very sure by listening to this particular conversation with seema sharma you will get an imaginative glimpse of experimental physics which is truly a fascinating area of science this is pratidwani listen as we humanize science welcome to pratidwani today i have with me seema sharma who is a reputed uh, physicist an experimental physicist and uh, I, i'm delighted to have her uh, on uh, the podcast pratidwani where we try to humanize science welcome seema hello pawan hello everyone so seema uh, you have been uh, an experimental physicist uh and uh, your experience as a scientist is something which we would be very eager to uh, know about so can you please tell us a little bit about your uh, education and uh, how you became a scientist 
Okay, so that's a long story, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Please. So I don't know where you want me to start. Eh? Uh, yeah, maybe you can just get started with the school so, days. What really yeah. motivated you towards physics and science, uh, for that matter? I think yes. I would say it was science in general, and perhaps came from the. I think it's a mixture of things. So, basically, I grew up in a small town in Rajasthan. Okay. The place is called now Rasaman. It's a small district. At that time, it was like sort of Kankroli, a small like Tehsil, we used to call it. Mm-hmm. So, the schooling part was very important because sometimes just the small things click. Okay, so for me, it was uh, more of like uh, in class, I, I don't remember, it was class 6 or 7, when one of our school teachers showed us uh, the onion peel under a microscope. And that big like structure which was in the book, that was under the microscope. And that was the thing which sort of got me interested in. But there were more sort of like uh, observational and some collection, like for example, making a herbarium file where we would collect variety of leaves and sort of flowers and all. So there was no physics per se, but it was more about like start observing the things and start connecting the things. And then at home, I think the parents were quite ambitious about us and they wanted us to study and focus on education. So even though I did not come from a very educational background, but that I think made a difference. So they were like, they wanted their daughters to go into science and their kids to go into science and go for it. Now, what was their motivation? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Now, but generally, how, so, yeah. this was in Jaipur? or uh, No, this was in Rajasaman. Okay. I'm talking about when I was like really uh, still a school kid, okay. like class okay. six, seven kind of. Okay. 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 So even though the small exposure and experiments made a huge difference. So that's nice. why I always say that, okay, the right exposure at younger age is much important than all these hi-fi or really sort of art, art instruments we talk about in our research. So yes. at the school level, doing the things is very, very important. Important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how was your so, schooling? Like uh, you, you really had uh, uh, kind of a uh, education where uh, the school was very well equipped or uh, how was it generally no, so it was funny so when I started with this school it was a very small school I mm-hmm. think till I grad- I mean completed my class 12 it was still like a small up to class 8 school so it was like up to class 5 that and then class 6 to 10 it was in another school and there I think we were so it was uh, funny so that school has both the state board and the CBSC so I was into the CBSC, number of students were small. So we got like full attention of our teachers. Okay. In fact, some of the school teachers I'm still in touch with. Wow, that's nice. So, and there was one teacher and she has been like sort of one of her favorites, uh, Mrs. Prerna Jain. And she would arrange even the books and all the reference books and for us from here and there. Because we did not have that access at that point. That point, yes. So that like the role of teachers in that time was extremely important for me. Very nice. Very and nice. they were the ones who would tell you, you can do it, just move out from here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then class 11th and 12th, they was in a different school. That's called Lakshmipat Singhania School. And there, I think the lab exposure was very good. So, very that's where I did my 11th and 12th. I do feel that the initial language, the initial education in your mother tongue is very, very important. Oh, so... Then, so, for me, the class 5 up to 5, it was all Hindi. Very nice. Class 6 to 10... I think my socialist studies was always in Hindi. Okay. okay. Like science and maths was in English, but then you can still catch up because there was no one to at home to teach at that level. I never went for any tuitions. So sometimes that mixture, I think it helped me. Helped, yeah. 
Yeah, and this aspect of uh, learning in a mother tongue, especially, has very deep implications. I think it has. Mm. Like, that's my personal experience. Mm. But I think there is a huge pressure now of like my kids should know this, my kids should know that. Yeah, but. yeah. But you know, the issue always I find a little bit difficult is the vocabulary. Uh, I, I still don't have any yeah, better. No, I never appear for GRE, so I never sort of mugged up those lists. <laughs> But no, then I, I mean think to say, communicating effectively is different than having like a large list of words in your vocabulary list. Absolutely. No, I mean to say, for example, if you have a, a, a science taught in Hindi, then the vocabulary would also be different, right? Yes. Because uh, that's okay. something which uh, probably is, is some attention is needed in yes. that direction. Yeah. So up to class 12, I was in uh, Rasamand only. Mm-hmm. And my first exposure outside was when I went to my university. University, okay. After 12th, you moved to... I uh, moved to Jaipur. Jaipur. So, it Uh was in Mahani's college. Okay. That's a very reputed college, right? That's a very reputed college. Mm -hmm. It was also like I got the admission into the physics, chemistry, maths. And then I sort of like, I can be frank here if it's fun or no. I don't know. I would say that other students, I would say don't be so biased. But I think I was like, no, I don't want to do chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, then I think um, it was a bit late in the like whole procedure. But the, I think... Class 12 marks were good, so the HOD then allowed me to shift to the physics honors. Honors, okay. So I had physics honors and maths. Maths, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very that was, interesting. Yeah, uh, that was again the less number of students, so mm-hmm. we got a lot of one to one attention from our uh, faculty. But, you know, as a, an experimental physicist, you cannot escape doing a bit of chemistry, right? Why do you say so? No, <laughs> no because uh, I'm sure we'll come to that part of your research yeah. because, you know, you're you're working uh, at CERN and other places yeah. where uh, there is a lot of instrumentation, there's a lot of material so, science also. Not only that, so uh, this time when I went to CERN a week hmm. ago, one of my colleagues took me to one of their material science labs. Nice. And that time, first time, I saw what the material science might mean because I have no exposure of what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, even there was some sort of epoxy, uh, some sort of these small pieces. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I could see there are at least like 50 of them with different Wonderful. combinations with different colors, different textures. So, so yeah. So, yes, yeah. you can't escape chemistry. Escape. But whether I directly use in my day-to-day research... I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. We need to know. In fact, uh, it's more of the material science, but not of the chemistry. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Like how the particles interact with the detectors. Yes. That is a part of our. Yeah, but if you go further deep down, it actually combines very deep physics and chemistry at that particular level. Okay. <laughs> no, that's that's something very interesting. So tell us a little bit more about your college education. Like uh, how was it and. Yeah, so in college, um, so I started with the BSc in uh, Maharani's College and I continued there. It was an interesting experience because it was the first time that I was uh, out of the home. And things did change a little bit. Ours was like this annual sort of system, so exams once a year. Now when I look back, I think it was useful because we had the whole year to think about what we are doing. So, before the exams, the preparation was just for the exams because they have to maintain certain mark sheet level. But the whole year, the Mahani's library was excellent. Okay. It was very good. Mm-hmm. So, that helped a lot. And then the labs were very good. This is something which is very important. You know, at an early age, if you're exposed to reasonably good quality laboratory, yes, that has some deep implication. Yes, on, it has uh, deep implications. Like, even in school, I think I still remember having, dissecting these four rats. Oh, wow. During the, I mean, the bio experiments, which I think people don't get to do now. 
Wonderful. So that had some impact. Impact, yes. Yes. So Mahanis College also, I think the labs were compulsory, especially when we were doing the honors. Mm-hmm. And the teachers there made an effort that uh, not only that we just do our experiments, but also be able to explain it to the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. So actually, that's what I picked up from there. Actually, yeah. what I tried here also, and that works. Yes, yes. So I I, I know that you also teach uh, uh, undergraduate courses, especially yeah. at the beginning of the undergraduate level, which is a probably one of the most important foundation courses and uh, this aspect of live demonstration i think in my own opinion also it's one of the most important and effective ways of teaching physics and uh, i i'm glad that you're also using that yeah yeah that is very important and also the students be able to sort of my point is that okay fine you do your one experiment thoroughly explain it to class write a report then rest of the things you will do anyways properly yes. because you develop that habit now habit. right like how to sort of observe it properly and thoroughly absolutely Absolutely. So I think that's effort we have to make. Absolutely. Now the number of students always being large, but they will always be large. So we have to catch up with that. Absolutely, absolutely. So during this time, then you were kind of already deeply involved in doing experiments, or you had already decided that you are going to become a physicist. No, 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 nothing like that. Okay, okay. So because in the college it was like limited time, like we have mm-hmm. the lectures and then the labs almost every day. and the hostel was interesting because by 7 pm the you have to be inside the hostel so there was not like chance of like interacting with or discussing with all the people and all that mm-hmm. other students or people who were like what what we used to call day scholars and mm-hmm. things yeah, like that yeah. right so i think what i liked there was i can't say that time that i was more inclined towards experiments or my lecture courses nice i think focus was on both the focus was yes. on both I think what I sort of uh, I know when I look back, I thank my teachers is essentially to give us thoroughly that okay, fine, you have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So even solving those problems, be it like in the quantum mechanics, the double potential well, mm-hmm. I think it still stays with me. Although I don't think I'm going to solve it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I don't even know whether I'll be able to solve it now or not. But I think those are the things which really sort of uh, gets a part of your sort of being you. Absolutely. See. See. part of uh, physics education generally has an important component of uh, quantum mechanics and uh, given that you are a particle physicist that is one of the most foundational kind yeah. of uh, background you will have yeah. to have i also had a background uh, beginning of my msc and also even of course in bsc a lot of uh, uh, atomic molecular optical physics and uh, kind of foundational quantum mechanics and i i found that people who study quantum mechanics either can take a very deep route into theoretical physics or in certain cases something else yeah so that's an interesting point right so the point is that the quantum mechanics the way we are introduced is more like a formalism yeah we just make one example of maybe the black body radiation and one of the photoelectric effect and we say the quantum mechanics came up Yes, yes. We tend to forget there is a whole like sort of at least three to four decades of work which we went into getting those absolutely right. establishing the facts, absolutely. the experimental observations. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So for me, the quantum mechanics actually became more enjoyable after I did the courses on the molecular spectroscopy, mm-hmm. atomic and molecular physics, and nuclear physics. nuclear physics. Absolutely. In fact, even until I, I, then, I mean, I don't think anybody sort of, I mean, I don't think I had any feel for the quantum mechanics what it can be about. 
very true very true so even seeing those i mean if you remember our times we used to have those uh, spectroscopy labs and we used to develop those films right yes yes <laughs> and seeing those the sodium doublets and coming out i think that was it absolutely absolutely so the quantum mechanics for me i mean solving those complicated problems i don't think i can still solve complicated problems i was okay. never trained for that okay okay but to be able to relate the things to relate the things absolutely absolutely that's what was more enjoyable enjoyable yeah. yeah and it gives a kind of a very different and a deep insight into how a physical system works yes right because until then most of your world is classical yeah. and uh, suddenly around bsc you will get exposed to quantum mechanics and special theory of relativity and these are you know probably the most important right. uh, so, changes yeah. in the mind so even the special theory of relativity when we talk about it i think the way we are introduced again in the college first year second year was like either in the classical mechanics course or i don't know some electrodynamics course or something yeah. but i think that made more sense when you look at it all together that you go for the advanced electrodynamics and start seeing this radiation effects on the retarded potential and all that yeah yeah and really see the applications in the accelerators and all and also in the particle physics yes yes so i think some of these are some of these are very basic sort of concepts which has the wide applications yeah. group theory is another example absolutely i think unless we have that broad exposure I think that's that's sometimes I don't think like I can say that okay I would have enjoyed physics that much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have similar right, like, kind of thoughts here. For example maths for me were more always is the tool. Mm-hmm. I never yes. went that direction. Yeah. yeah. We had the papers one after the other and I would just enjoy it and finish them. Absolutely. It. But the physics was more fun to be able to cross connect. Cross connect. Yeah. So yeah. I think what in fact I was talking to one of my students and they were like I think look to make you aware of the things is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. If you come unprepared for anything, then it's your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. In fact, so that exposure is important in my mind. Absolutely. And at whatever level, be it school level, be it college level, be it master's level, anything they say. True. That's what my personal experience has been. Absolutely true. Absolutely. It's also since you mentioned about the mathematics, people uh, should probably be aware, especially some. students and other people who may not be still uh, kind of exposed to complete aspects of uh, doing research that experimental physics use a lot of mathematics just that they probably would not be using it in the framework let's say what a theoretical physics people use uh, do you also kind of have that a uh, kind of mindset because in my own research of course i do use quite a bit of mathematics but in a slightly different way for example for your transforms or some kind of yeah. uh, so, uh, analytical aspects and right. other things yeah this brings to my sort of masters level education i would say uh uh-huh. okay so i think the exposure to theoretical pap- like papers or subjects is much more to all of us yes yes right so for me the particle physics just did not come out as like only because i was solving some qft problems or something like that right i think the sort of what got me interested was essentially this nuclear physics lab which was very good in rasan university yes fantastic yes. experiments mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we were given full time to like sort of be on it and also this side by side going on the lecture courses nice nice right so that sort of helped me much more as compared to only having done theory or only having done experiments experiments yeah so i would say that at least the basic part of my field i would be able to sort of handle and explain to my students so okay fine what is going on nice nice Okay so that understanding is important i might not be the person who would be interested in extending it beyond or mm-hmm. come up with a fantastic theoretical new idea absolutely absolutely but i think the theoretical part is important, important because that gives you sort of like how to formal the formalize the problem yeah true true in fact and how to formalize your observations, observations to be able to sort of expect that what is next coming 
next absolutely absolutely it gives you a very nice framework for me it is a debating tool yeah 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 no no in fact for me also mathematics us, is essentially a language yeah. it's a it's a very yeah. effective and powerful language to to do to research yeah. so i think i'm more into this sort of like data analysis but then it helps in the sense that okay fine when i'm looking at my distributions okay fine there is a physics clicking in that what is happening yes yes and i i also know that you use a lot of computational resources yes. as part of your research yes. so during your education you had some exposure to computational aspects it's mixed Mm. in the sense that okay in the school itself mm. at some point we did some gates and logic gates and all that that was fun that okay. was super fun mm. but during college i think university we had one course which was the language used to be basic mm-hmm. there was one theory paper in bsc also but not that much of exposure in fact i got my first email id also in my end of my msc first year okay okay And that's because I was applying for a summer school somewhere. <laughs> okay. So yeah, but the thing is that okay, fine. At that point, we had some, I would say, the book level knowledge hmm. that helped to sort of build up the logic. logic. And the fact that okay, fine, the logic is more important when you want to go for the computational one or want to talk to computer. I think that stayed with me for a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's where probably maths education also helps. It right? helps a lot. It helps a lot. It helps a lot. Because logical way of thinking yes, yes, and uh, deduction, yes. etc. So, for example, I think what we miss out right, right now with even I have lost that uh, habit now that earlier. I mean, now it is like any syntax you have to look at, you will just go to the Google and just do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think even my PhD supervisor would like that. Because <laughs> <It was laughs> like, you have to understand the like what the philosophy of the long language is. Languages, yes. What yes. is sort of logic is. Logic is. Yeah. Then it's fine. Now, which language do you generally use for your? I think I am more exposed to C plus plus. C plus plus. Okay. But now okay. people are moving to Python more. Python. I yeah, yeah. That's the. That's that's. But the I know that internally it's C plus plus. Nice, nice. So yeah, then, so it's a mixture of uh, like exposed to some parts of it, but not really hands on. Hands on into that. That's that's an important thing. So now, now that you have laid the foundation during your BSc, mainly as a honors. physics student then you move to uh, msc in the same university or? yes so um, i think um, i applied for a couple of but i couldn't appear for few exams that time which i applied for okay i think uh, i am forgetting what was the reason i think i got severe jaundice and i just could not and oh. then i just have to sort of found out one like day that i have to go and appear for the rajasthan university msc msc okay so that was an by entrance yes yes and just Got through that, and I just joined the program. Joined, joined the program. It's very nice. Very and I nice. think it was a good decision. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Because I, I also know that Rajasthan University has a background in nuclear physics. There is quite a bit of uh, yes, uh, work yes. which has gone in the past. And I think the Rajasthan University, the way whole syllabus is, I think it's a very good exposure at the MSc yes, level, yes. both BSc and MSc level. Very interesting. Very interesting. So I don't think at that time um, I did any kind of very advanced courses like what people do now. Even mm-hmm. now, string theory in their MSc, but mm-hmm. I never did those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But whatever we did was was very, really thorough. very yeah, very thorough. Yeah, yeah. Was I that, had similar experience. Yeah. 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 The syllabus was very good. That's what I said. That if I had until the MSc level, the exposure is extremely important. Important. If you start narrowing down at that level itself. Because you know it, right? The research now is not about like a single subject, absolutely, or a single topic. Topic. There's yeah. a lot of crosstalk which happens. Absolutely, absolutely. And more than that, I think it helps you to build your own reasoning hmm. over the hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I personally feel exposure is important. I mean, no, no, I I agree with you because uh, even for that matter, uh, if you're working at some topics which are at the interface of yeah. disciplines themselves, yeah. that is also an important yeah. thing. And when I say exposure, I don't mean 
n number of topics yes it's more about some subjects but thoroughly done thoroughly done yes yes i i agree with you i agree with you in fact we we see that also as uh, as uh, <laughs> as as teachers and as researchers uh, that's yeah. an important thing uh, but these are all uh, uh, very important foundations you know that would probably serve you all throughout your life as a yeah. researcher and uh, so for example even when you talk about the computational and all that right i mean now we then don't care for the memory or the time the things are like sort of the computational resources have like grown up so fast and yes so is readily available but even doing those numerical analysis courses yes and talking about the okay fine what are the approximations in this rule that rule and what errors you are introducing i think that was helpful helpful okay okay that's that's good to know that's very very nice so now that you're now finishing up the, your msc you're really now probably making a transition and thinking about going towards research and that is a very important transition for any student especially msc to phd transition is also not an easy transition so how was how was this how was it for you so if i tell you the really the honest answer yes please even until i think the end of msc or no not end of msc i think first year i had no clue about what the research is and where it it ever existed wow okay 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 so it just so happened that um, there was some ad about some summer school summer uh, program not even a school it was in iisc Okay. So that was in 2001 summer so I was selected for that thanks to some of my professors there in Rajasthan in, in university Rajasthan, yeah okay. so it was uh, professor Rashmi Raniwala and professor Sudhir Raniwala so I just contacted them and uh, I just went there and that was my first exposure to what research can be nice nice so there at that time I worked with uh, professor Anand Narayan and I I see yes yeah very nice So it was more of a reading project. And so this is in CHEP, right? CHEP. Yes. No, it is called CHEP. Earlier it used to call CTS, the Center C- for Theoretical Studies. Theoretical Studies, yes. So there also you can see that I was still exposed to more theoretical part. But mm-hmm. the thing is that he sort of encouraged us to read about the various uh, symmetries and all that, but mm-hmm. also about how to measure them. Very good. Very nice. Okay, so it was a reading project. The first time that I was handling the computer so much, not for the computing or something, just browsing through. Browse. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so it was fun. So it yes. was like three of us students from the different, and we had, and in fact, we have a like in resonance. We published two articles wow. based on okay. that uh, series of series of two series. Ah, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. So we actually uh, based on those experience in reading, we actually published two articles in resonance. Nice, nice. So there was a summarizing what we were reading. What you're reading. Yeah, so then I can say that Anand is my first co-author. Ha! <laughs> nice, nice. No, this is something which is very important. A lot of students do get research experience and exposure during a summer break, yeah. especially university students. Yes. Okay. Even I, when I was studying, this was one of the crucial aspects of yeah. uh, my education, and that really has a very deep implication and exposure. Yeah. And uh, that is an important program uh, to yeah. to continue. Yeah. So at the end of masters, so after this IIC thing, I just came back and I applied. They appeared for the JRF exam. I was actually selected for the BRC also. Okay. Training school. Training school. Yes. But the results were delayed. The semester was late and all that, so I could not join. And then I think I was selected in TFA. Then I did not bother about other things. So they would be fine. I will join. But I think at that point my mindset was essentially I have to get into a job. Mm-hmm. That was like sort of. Uh, at the when i was writing my msc exams it was just like that that i have to sort of go for a job be it lectureship or school or whatever it is because i had to be on my own at okay. some point 
But then I think one of the professors is essentially Sudhirani Wala. Mm-hmm. He suggested me that okay, why don't you go for research? Nice. Do it. Nice. Then I said, fine, I can't really. And then I'm not going to allow. And all kind of excuses. And he just sort of dismissed all of them. Okay. Okay. And then I had the option. Like I had the JRF uh, position. I could have utilized that and stayed back in Rajasthan. Then it was the TIFR. Mm-hmm. So I think then just worked out that okay, fine, I will just join TIFR and see. See. Oh, okay. And how did you uh, how did you get through TFR? You know, one of the uh, exams. Yeah, no, yeah. Interview is uh, kind of renowned to be tough. Uh, how was it? To be honest, I don't have much memories of it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so, so, which means that it is all fine. <laughs> no, I think it was okay. I mean, I came out with a nice feeling. The questions which were asked, I think, I think that interview was very good because I mean, it's a. I don't remember all the questions and everything, but I remember the feeling I had that it was nice. Nice. See, that's what good. You will you will generally not uh, uh, remember good interviews. Good interviews. <laughs> so <laughs> it was good. like sort of it's not they asked for variety of like covered quite a few uh, sort of subjects and like topics and all. Nice. But they made me feel comfortable. Comfortable. Okay, fine. We know you know. It just go ahead. Wow. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's so, a that's a good good yeah. thing. That's a very good thing to. And the chair also, I think. By the time I joined here, but I think I was clear in my mind that I will go for particle physics, so particle that was my physics. bias. Yes, which I tell students not to be that biased, mm. but then I was. But what I was not clear about is whether I want to go for theory or experiment. Yes, it's basically phenomenology, or I still had the insect of the phenomenon in my mind. Yeah, okay. But uh, I think it's uh, sort of the exposure there. What we had this, what we call the. Lab projects kind mm-hmm, of thing, mm-hmm. and that was very very helpful. Very in in TFR. In TFR. Very that nice. gives like for example, I think I worked in uh, one of these uh, nonlinear optics lab also, then yeah. particle physics lab also. Wonderful. Wonderful. Did some lab view also that time. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. After that, yes. I never touched it, but I did. That you did that. That's an important. Some exposure. of those things, I think, uh, there was a good exposure to have. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your uh, PhD uh, research. What did you do? What did you learn? And what kind of uh, questions you were interested in? Yeah. So uh, once we had our coursework done, actually, more interesting part here is that when I joined TFR, I think most of my friends wanted to go for theory, like theoretical mm. physics. Yes, and I think yes. soon after that, I was clear that I want to go for the experimental. Yes. yes. So only a couple of us that who were sure that who want to go for the experimental, anything related to that. So I opted for the experimental particle physics. The what my PhD problem was more about. Um, so it started with some sort of. Uh, Yeah. So after we finished our uh, coursework, we have to sort of opt for uh, one department. Okay. Okay. Even there, it was not. I think we have to choose supervisor directly. So we had enough exposure. Like the initial semester, we were doing coursework and all. I think one interesting thing was uh, going to Uti for a field trip. Ah. Okay. And there we did some experiments, hands on, and all. It was fun. Nice. About this grapes experiment and all that. Since I was already interested in particle physics. I think I had two options uh, when I went to TFR. Either to join the Bell experiment, mm-hmm. which was ongoing, which is an E plus E minus uh, collision factor, and the other was like the LHC, which was coming up. Wow! So j- just for our listeners, can you please expand those terms because that yeah. is important. Yeah. So in the Bell, they are colliding the beams of the electrons and positrons. Nice. So you have nice clean, and that was the pro- program already going on. Okay. Okay. But uh, in the LHC, which is a proton-proton collisions, mm-hmm. it was still to come. So when I started my sort of uh, projects, so I joined here in two thousand two. 
Wonderful. So I did. I don't think I had that much of exposure what I'm doing, mm. but <laughs> I just agreed. Okay, fine. Let's do go for it. And See, a lot was, of times this is something very important because you know even at the cusp of starting a PhD, you will be probably going with uh, not complete information of what you're going to do. That's you know something very exciting, a very yeah. similar experience yeah. for me too. Yeah. So it was interesting. My first project there was. Uh, The TFR, the group was building up the scintillator detector, part oh. of what we call the outer hadron collider. Okay. The TFR group was responsible for it, so I got to do my first project on that with uh, one of the professors there. Okay. In the Majumdar. Mm-hmm. And I think I really learned like what the data analysis is, how they do it. It was do essentially it. basically related to source which passes through the whole long scintillator tile, and you sort of calibrate it like nice. how do you make the uniform mm-hmm. signal mm-hmm. output. And the second project was more on the analysis kind of thing, but it was like partly Fino kind of, I would say, mm. but not Fino in the sense developing anything new, but it's still no data. It was essentially PP collision okay. and trying to look for some supersymmetric particles in that, which was essentially based on the simulation. My third project was actually with uh, Professor Shyamanda Banerjee, mm-hmm. which was more on the detector physics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I say detector physics, it's not I'm talking about the instrumentation, but trying to understand how the particles are behaving in a detector. Detector, okay. And that was, I think, my first exposure to calorimeters, and I think that's where I got hooked to it. Hooked to it, okay. And that time, uh, you w- would have already finished your coursework. Yes. And uh, you had some background in yes. high energy physics. Yes. Uh, so uh, background in high energy physics started from my MSc only because yes. the yeah, particle you, physics you was my. Special paper. Mm-hmm. So introduction to the nuclear physics, the quantum field theory, and the particle physics, and the sort of ingredients which go in building up the standard model. That was all from the MSc. But here I also again redid the QFT and uh, particle physics courses. Wonderful. At the TFR that school also. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so then I think I decided for like fine, let me try for the CMS and the data will come. But mm-hmm. the So my project then became over the time it comes out like we were actually testing the hadron calorimeters mm. with the real particle beams. So it is not the PP collision because LHC was uh, like we are not having PP collisions; it was not there. But we get the single particle beams okay. from what we call the SPS accelerator, mm-hmm. and those we hit on the thin targets. Okay. Okay. Okay, and then all variety of particles can sort of uh, be produced, mm. and we can sort of like have a beam line and. Make them really steer towards the detector and study what detector is telling us. Study. Okay. So it's really the performance of the detector establishing over the first time. Okay. Very nice. So I participated in 2004 test beam, mm. and then it was in 2006 test beam. That that was at CERN or that yeah. was at CERN. Wow. Okay. So I was there for the data taking and all, mm. but then the data analysis and all. I think the what I learned from there. It was just it stays with me. Stays with you. So tell me, tell tell us a little bit about your first trip to CERN. How was it? You know that would have been very exciting, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, so Shunanda was there, my uh-huh. PhD supervisor. So in that sense, I had a like sort of uh, somebody there. Somebody there to guide. But you. then I went in like something like um, I think it was in February or something like that, and it was quite cold. Cold. Okay. Okay. No, it was like first experience. <laughs> okay. But then yeah, it was nice because I could. So they had used to have a lot of like academic lectures and all training programs and all. So I used to attend those lectures, and. 
lab exposure was no i think i started getting lab exposure not in the first trip though i visited some labs with my supervisor mm-hmm. but in the following uh, trips it was more when we were doing some of the testing at the actual site of the cms cms testing wow but uh, that time it was more of the like this uh, computational based mm-hmm. but the exposure i got from there in the sun library is still my favorite spot okay okay yeah that so that was but that, that was the time i really get to work with my phd supervisor really very closely one to one nice nice very and nice and also learn by his dedication to his work yeah yeah Beyond yeah uh, you know that is something which uh, all of us have like we heard about uh, sanandji and uh, Uh, do you want to tell a little bit about your experience working with him uh, how was it uh, he is a is a very well known experimentalist and yes. uh, the kind of uh, training you got from him uh, yeah so for him there are no shortcuts mm-hmm. to get any results he would like to really thoroughly check everything Maybe. step by step and yeah. that's something commendable but the i think what i appreciate more like most is that he let me think mm-hmm. my way important that is an important yes. thing yeah so i mean i was free to argue with him yes yes so that was something which sort of uh, i mean i has also stayed with you it stayed with you stayed with you and More also also like sort of like it was really like sort of like i want to do it my way and i have this results okay fine let's talk about it mm-hmm. but he was not a talkative person or anything like anything. that so <laughs> he was very quiet always nice nice but yeah we, we i've heard I him also uh, uh, in a colloquium at iser pune yeah. fantastic you know so illuminating very interesting yeah. stuff so he is i think sort of like i would say that sort of part of my work style actually sort of i learned a lot from him mm-hmm. Hmm. that you have to be thorough there is no choice choice okay when you are taking the data hmm. i think one of the things is that essentially in any experimental field if you talk about whether it's your or it's mine you are losing money right if you are not doing it properly absolutely absolutely you're right you're right, uh, right? there's so an there's infrastructure no going back, going back. Yeah. there's no going back absolutely so that responsibility we have to take yes, yes. so that building up your uh, means whatever the outcome is mm. or whatever your experimental like strategy is or whatever looking at your results is i think that's something which is sort of uh, i Cru- learned from him you are very crucial aspect very right crucial that's aspect. a very important thing yeah and he just i mean did not like to find uh, let it go there like find uh, somebody is thinking that way or that way you you go your way no problems with that wonderful wonderful so i didn't feel any time the pressure of that why it is not done today hmm hmm i think i used to be habitual of taking tension myself right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that is kind of common to all researchers so to speak yes. in that sense there are a lot of people who are really dedicated to their work they generally take yeah. uh, and other thing is like his commitment to his work i think i still have to learn from learn, yeah yeah that that is something which is always commendable his dedication yeah. i mean that's sort of beyond this world i would say yeah So now you have uh, then at that point you are now going to CERN uh, periodically I assume as part of your work or uh, not really mm. so PhD uh, during PhD time I didn't go to CERN that often it was only I think it was twice for the test room experiments yes and once for this project which uh, before I started the actual PhD problem but the final year of my PhD was spent at Formula actually Formula my yes PhD supervisor moved there yes and then. that was a different exposure altogether yeah tell us about that in fact and, that is uh, also extremely reputed uh, experimental laboratory yeah so uh, i think the hadron calorimeter part which i was working on and the hadron calorimetry itself i think we had many experts there nice okay so that was a different like level of exposure altogether and really sort of uh, like different mindsets coming together to be able to deliver something 
that's something which i learned very very closely nice nice and, uh, and then there were other experiments neutrinos and all that the tetron was already closing mm-hmm. so there was some activity going on activity. but uh, that one year i think it was very productive mm-hmm. and i could really talk to the experts in the hadron calorimeters calorimeters and tell us a little bit about just basic aspect of calorimeter uh, what do you mean because calorimeter generally yes. in normal laboratories is very yeah, different yeah i should yeah. have said it before yeah. so calorimetry in general we talk about this temperature change in measuring it right whenever something happens yes so in um, case of the when the particles are passing through the detectors right we are talking about like uh, few like few gv to few hundred gv particles kind mm-hmm. of and these particles can be electron positron photons or the hadrons like charge pions the protons the neutrons right the pastor detector they we want them to deposit whole of their energy in the detector nice okay? nice because mm-hmm. when you are doing for example the other aspect of the detector is the tracking yes where you trace the particle in magnetic field from the radius of curvature the bending you can find out its momentum there you don't want the particle to be disturbed because then the trajectory gets affected and your momentum measure is not yes yes but that has the limitation that you need huge magnetic volume there Mm-hmm. So for very high energy these particles we have the calorimeters and the idea is to make these particles deposit their energy completely in these calorimeters nice now nice. the temperature increase there is sort of cannot be measured okay so the way we measure is that what either it can be for example a scintillator detector so you get light output mm-hmm. or it can be for example a silicon detector where you can get the current basically charge pulse nice so you can nice. collect the charge at how much electron hole pairs were uh, generated Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. So these are the trying to sort of signatures we get when the particle passes through, and from these signatures, we want to go back and see what was the energy of the original particle which came. Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. Now the electron positrons, when you talk about, they just sort of uh, as soon as they hit the material or just interact with the material in the presence of external field, if the energy is enough, the photons can pair produce mm-hmm. e plus e minus, and the electrons when they come across the external field, they get accelerated and they send their own photons. So then there is a huge like sort of the shower of the cascade of these electron positron photons in electromagnetic shower. Yes. But it's all the electromagnetic part. Okay, so these detectors you can think of like they will be linear. Less issues. Okay. Okay. On and like sort of broadly speaking. Right? There may be details which will yeah. come to for yeah. you leave it for us. Yeah. <laughs> But for the hadron calorimeters is quite tricky. Because when you have these particles which are passing through the detector they sort of have the, also the nuclear interactions and then again the shower develops which mm-hmm. is again the particles which can be other hadrons nice but nice. it can if it's for example you produce a pi zero pi zero immediately gets to two photons and then you have the electromagnetic shower component so the hadron calorimeters has these two components and event by event fluctuations is huge so the resolution is worse resolution is worse okay 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 so to understand this one and then be able to sort of put it properly in the simulation that we understand the simulation also because simulation is important for hp experiments yes yes okay so that is where these calorimeter detectors come in picture and that's where the challenges come in picture interesting very interesting so the hadron calorimeter part is something which i have been interested in all through and in fact one of my previous students he graduated with This is on the on this upcoming calorimetry analysis. Very very fascinating. That is for the high luminosity LEDs. Nice, nice. So now you finished your one year stint at the Fermi Lab as part of your yes. PhD, and then uh, what was your further move? Yeah, so then I think I was as usual with the grad students, <laughs> getting stressed out what to do next. But then I just got lucky that that time uh, I could get one slot for the I applied for the Fermi Lab uh, postdoc position and oh. it worked out before I left. Wonderful. I came back to India for submitting my thesis, 
and sort of I was uh, selected. So I went after I submitted my thesis, I went back to Formula as a postdoc. Wonderful. So you you're then going back uh, uh, where you left left it, <laughs> and then you joined the yes. team again. So again, I mean, it was like LSC should start, uh-huh. but it started, but again met with an accident immediately. There was oh. some issue with the uh, one of the magnets benched, mm-hmm. and there was an accident. So it took some almost one year to repair it. Nice. And then it started again. Started again. And, and back like so, I joined in end of two thousand eight, around October two thousand eight, when the accident happened in September two thousand eight. And then it started again in 2009 when we had our first data. So in that sense, I can say that uh, I think I was one of those who were looking into the first collision sets which came out, even wow. by event. <laughs> so that Great. was the excitement, which is different level. Different level, absolutely, absolutely. And this is all in Formula. It's still I was at Formula. Yeah. And, uh, and then so yeah. then I started traveling to Sun very often yes. like for all the sort of collaboration meetings or like for the data taking time when I was part of some prompt feedback group and things like that. Yes, yes. But yeah, but Formula had all the resources, right? Mm, it mm. was a uh, what we call in our uh, the computing storage and computing infrastructure in CMS. We call it Tier One. Mm-hmm. And that time, I think I had an access to each and every event right there. Very nice, very nice. So the Formula resources were like the key in the beginning. Yeah, that's yeah. that's probably at the forefront of a lot of experiments. Yes. Being done. But then I think so the importance of my PhD work I did not realize until late. Mm-hmm. Because the kind of work we did, we also used the same data to tune the Gian four simulation for the CMS. Nice. And when the first data came out, that handful of events mm-hmm. and the performance we saw in data and simulation, I think that was fantastic. That was that was always that was, fascinating, and you really get yeah. uh, very motivated yeah. about. So, so I, in in this context, you would have already kind of now got a very broad understanding or at least exposure to high energy physics, right? And uh, that understanding generally takes a lot of time, right? It doesn't happen very quickly. So during this time, were you also reading widely uh, apart from the uh, the problems what you're working on, or yes. uh, how how was your? Yes, so uh, even uh, during PhD, I think the uh, I always say like the TFR we got very good exposure. Okay. Right, the number of talks I heard there, or number of random papers I went through, even the original papers where somebody were talking about like you find what jet fragmentation is about. Okay. I think that was quite useful because if you see really like unless the LHC started, I did not have any experience on the physics analysis for any new physics search or the standard model measurement. Right? Yes, yes. So I think that reading was more of the um, like the physics part of it that okay, read this, read that, mm-hmm. talk to mm-hmm. your and colleagues. That was exposure was equal. But also, I think I was just like I used to like reading anyway, so. I used to keep random stuff. Random uh, things. That's that's uh, so crucial, right? Because even during the PhD time, yeah. So I mean, I would read no, a lot of non-physics also. Non-physics, some also. novels or something. Oh, wonderful! I will come but to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll come to that aspect later. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think so. What was missing in my experience until now, in the like first year of my postdoc gets over, but there I was already deep into the like getting the. So you have to understand that such a big system. Mm-hmm. It's really an engineering marvel. Absolutely. CMS experiment. CMS experiment. But having it all together, and you are looking at the data for the first time, you don't know what happened initially, right? Mm. You don't have what went in. Only thing you have the output from your detector, and you want to figure out what happened in that collision. Collision, yes. So all these challenges of the calibrations and detector is working well and all. I think I could contribute to that, and that was quite enriching experience. Enriching experience, absolutely. Because you become responsible for the whole thing at some point, and the good thing is that okay, there is a full structure, right? Other people are also reviewing and all that, so that. Fear of being questioned. That was always gone. Wonderful. I mean, like Wonderful. I just want somebody to look at my stuff. Yeah. So, so that was very nice. That's that's a crucial element. Yes. When you're so I think getting some of those first distributions of the like what we were seeing the data that was fun. 
but actually i started building up more on the physics program only after that after that see one of the elements of doing experiments and uh, this is also true when we do experiments in the laboratory small laboratories is the importance of statistical analysis you know that is something also of paramount importance in your yes. work so how much is the kind of uh, training a student gets in such kind of uh, analysis most of the time is it on the go or uh, you do have some kind of a training for students um so are you talking about my part or no <laughs> yeah no generally speaking so generally in high energy speaking, physics yeah mm. so we do have uh, some exposure to the formal statistical courses mm. but statistics is one subject which you can never learn just by reading reading absolutely you have absolutely. to apply it. apply it apply it i agree Okay. Agreed. So even there also, like the things have become advanced and easily the packages are available. That's mm-hmm. something again I learned from my PhD supervisor. He mm. will make me do it <laughs> on on the on your own first, first, and then worry about the packages. <laughs> nice, nice. He was saying, "Why can't you write your minimizer?" I was right. I mean, why can't I write? Okay, okay. Nice, nice. So that's a crucial element. In fact, yes. that's something which is yes. very important and yes. increasingly. you know with all the new computational uh, progress which yeah. has been happening actually unless we do it we don't even know where we should be where we are splitting the hair or where we are making the approximation correct or not correct or not yes yeah because you have to find a balance somewhere right absolutely absolutely this is something so, which is very very very, very important very important very important, very important. So, uh, in that sense, you know, you would have also interacted with a lot of people across the world. You know, first of all, in Fermi Lab, where you are already working during your postdoc, and you are also traveling to CERN. How was your ex- kind of experience in? You know, it's essentially a totally an international effort uh, in these uh, laboratories. How was your experience working with the teams which are so large? Generally, uh, the experiments what we do in terms of uh, small laboratory experiments. In my own case. uh of course one when one goes abroad uh, meets people uh, goes to conference you do interact but in your case in such a large laboratory your day to day functioning would be with a really large group how how has been your experience in in that sense so there are two aspects of it right depending upon so as a junior member of the collaboration when i was as a phd student or as postdoc mm-hmm. i think we were still working in smaller groups okay okay right so the actual project which i am responsible for delivering for the collaboration on behalf of the collaboration mm-hmm. we still have a smaller group although the analysis which i worked on were still like sort of a bigger group which would be like 20 25 people but it's still limited and we had our tasks defined but only doing my piece doesn't work because we have to have the all the pieces to come together to call it a final result i agree exactly right mm. so i think that was a very sort of useful experience it's me okay in the sense that okay fine working together whatever your personalities are whatever your cultural part is when it comes to the science part of it you are just thinking together absolutely and moving ahead together i think that was the most sort of uh, enriching experience for me very nice very nice that's actually a very crucial aspect because uh, that, that is correct whether you do this small group like your hmm. kind of experiments which can be more table top yes. or whether it's a wider community community yeah but later on i think when i interacted more in terms of like my roles as the convener group conveners and all that there we were interacting with more broader group but there again it becomes okay fine at the end you are working together to get the results put together and out now yes yes you are right so that is sort of a very sort of i like this aspect of this my particular field this yeah. such field which yeah. i am working yeah 
high energy physics especially experimental high energy yes. physics is also known for our yes. uh, papers which have many authors yes okay do you want to tell a little bit about because this is something which even within physics community people don't have complete appreciation do you want to tell us a little bit about how generally a paper is written in such fields so again i said right for example um, there i have a worked with papers where there will be like 25 authors in hmm. like key people who like meeting almost every week kind of okay. 22 hmm. 25 kind of i would say 20 more likely mm-hmm. but i then have done also the papers which are only my students student yeah yeah i've i've seen that yes right yes. so this is very limited like maybe one postdoc involved or one colleague involved and my student in here right so in both the cases i think it depends on the like how fast or slow and what the collaboration requirements are it all like sort of timing or timing yes everything matters so but once we do the analysis we have to present in our uh, what we call the meetings mm-hmm. so one is the working group meeting which is my day to day interaction or weekly meetings and some colleagues all across the globe and with my students i am dealing with them every day i try to meet them almost every day but uh, beyond that point we have to present in the physics group meetings okay okay Okay, so there are like, for example, the groups focusing on the stand model measurements. There are something focusing on like for new physics, uh, such as there can be something on the uh, more like the top physics. There can be more like the his Higgs boson, like nice. the related studies. So these groups, each of them is sort of further subdivided into subgroups. Subgroups. Uh, yes. Depending upon that, can be the uh, what kind of properties you are measuring, or it can be what kind of tools you are using. Wonderful. So it depends. Wonderful. So in these subgroup meetings is where we have to present. regularly with updates very nice okay so that gets reviewed by everyone and the reason for that is that you don't want to have contradictory statements or information going out of cms which is using the same data and same detector same detector exactly you would want right? some kind you of coherence some kind of coherence yeah. right? so that's why it is important and other point is it's so sort of advanced stuff and the that there is always something you can miss out so it's good to have that okay fine things are consistent For example, if you have to apply for the systematic uncertainty or some correction to your distribution, it has to be consistent. Nice. Otherwise, discovering new physics every next day that will happen. <laughs> that will happen because if it's a detector problem, I will get a dark matter signature Absolutely. in terms of the missing transverse moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's very easy, right? So that's why these meetings are important. Nice. And after that, it's an approval process. That once the result has been put together, mm. then we need to get an approval by this uh, group, group, the physics group itself. Mm. For that, even we have to like prepare our documentation and everything, the available to the conveners and the reviewers. Reviewers. Okay. Basically, whole collaboration because it's all via the database, which yes. is accessible to all members of the CMS. Wonderful. Yes, and then the analysis. Once you say that you find the expert group has really done it, you want an independent review, mm-hmm. and for that we have the analysis review committees. Oh, those are okay. usually like three to four members, and they thoroughly review it. Once they agree, ask for cross checks. If there is some problem, sometimes we find out problems working with them mm-hmm. because they are independent people. People, okay. Independent, but experts in different fields, fields. and okay. experienced people. Wonderful. So once that is done, we have to ask for an approval from the collaboration. So this is what we call the approval presentation. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, yeah, so if, even there also at least a week before we have to make all the paper version and the like some draft and the documentation available. Once that is go- done, the actually the paper was draft, which is approved, goes for the whole collaboration. What we call collaboration-wide review. Wow! To make sure that at least somebody reads it. Reads there it, are yeah. some six, seven institutes that are assigned for the particular reading. So nice. many times we do it for other others. Papers. Others also. Yes, and then it goes for the final reading where you make that everything is sorted, and then it only gets published. Published. 
that's a that's so a really thorough very long. long and also very thorough right i think yes. yeah and it's good for the students especially when they are taking a lead on it mm. they get variety of exposure yes. not only the presentation and everything how to convey themselves but also to be able to defend what they are what they are doing absolutely absolutely that's a some, so, such a crucial yeah. uh, aspect so yeah. the final paper which will go out will have all the cms mm. authors because you see how many people have already paid attention paid to it but not only that the directors will by others mm. we are using calibration factors or the my corrections coming from the other people the people who are dealing with the detectors making it operate making sure that everything is working fine making sure that we are not collecting nonsense so all these things are important so the, as a policy of the collaboration everyone everyone will be yeah but internally we know it that who is taking the lead on it and who are the people involved people so involved. we have mechanisms very nice how to sort of say that who has worked on it that coordination is very important very right important. We, very very so outside us they cannot know sometimes mm. within collaboration also we don't know what is going on but mm. in analysis notes usually it is you will be aware of it but sometimes we have it many times that okay find the right this particular group mm. so then it becomes difficult to find out who is the person who is the person so there are drawbacks and there are benefits wonderful wonderful so now you are now finishing up your postdoc in fermi lab and you you were there for how long there uh, for so, about so uh, uh, yeah so fermi lab I was there for more than five years. Wow! Okay, very nice. I'm slightly more than five years before I joined Icepony. Icepony. But yes. there, yeah. So once the data started coming in, and we started actually, we developed the full program for the hadronic searches. Yes. Yes. So basically, no leptons in our final states. So I, like, sort of started a couple of programs, mm, mm. mostly related to the supersymmetry searches. Mm. But then just moved on, and mm. I joined Icep. I said, yeah. So now you're making a transition from a postdoc to a faculty. How was that? How was that? How was your experience? It was interesting mm-hmm. in the sense that okay, fine. I I think I was clear always that I have to get back to India. There yes. was no doubt there. There came a phase where it was not clear what I want to do in the sense that everybody was moving. Like many of my friends moved to industry, mm-hmm. and then finding a job in academia is not easy. easy so yeah. this one worked out for me, luckily. and uh, i joined here and i think within a month i was at home <laughs> so <laughs> okay okay yeah uh, and we, then i think i started uh, teaching and dealing with the students and got lucky with my first set of students they yes, were all yes. excellent i i still very vividly remember your your uh, talk at the department my job talk, job talk. <laughs> I, it was one of the best i've heard in fact uh, to be very frank really? yeah Thank yeah you. in fact feels yeah good. yeah no i still remember because you, uh, there was a guest house uh, which was kind of converted yes, into yes. a lecture room hall yeah. and uh, i i very well remember that that particular talk that was a very interesting yeah. stuff So and, uh, you also uh, kind of moved into Isa Pune and also took leadership role in uh, in your uh, uh, experiments, especially in the this international effort. Would you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I joined here, so as I said, like there are different physics groups and different detector groups, and somebody has to coordinate it. Yes. Because ultimately things have to succeed, and you know it, right? Even in your like our lab, where we have like hardly five six members, if you don't follow it up, then then it's gone. One week you don't follow, and we know that we don't know each other. Absolutely. Right. So I think it becomes very sort of important that things are coordinated properly. So my I think when I joined here, I was a sort of. Uh, responsible for one of the subgroups of the suzi you know like this such group such group supersymmetry search group but after that i got the opportunity to lead the uh, cms jetmet group so mm. the jets and met are essentially like sort of discovery tools at uh, lc mm. so jets are essentially experimental signatures of the quarks and gluons and met or the missing transverse momentum that's a signature for like something which went out to the detector without depositing any signature signature okay. so it could be neutrinos in standard model or it can be some dark matter candidate or something Which is not interacting, so we call many times is like 
broadly group as the weakly interacting massive particles, which can be. And so that group is very sort of. Um, I mean, it was a very interesting and I would say one of my most enriching experiences, experiences. Okay. in uh, running experiment. If anything goes wrong in any piece of the detector, it shows up in these two. These objects. two. Okay. Okay. So I think every time, and that time also the time when sixteen uh, and uh, so I was from twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, and that time I think the CMS also upgraded a few sub detectors and all. Yeah. So there were a lot of problems we were coming across. So it was challenging. It was challenging. Right? It was right? challenging. Yeah. yeah, because I I and knew that uh, you were, you were quite busy then because you had to also. And also, it was my first such experience. Okay. I think now you ask me to do it again, probably I would <laughs> be more <laughs> casual about it. Yeah. I would still be sincere, but so, not taking that much of stress. Stress, yeah. Because the experience matters. Yeah. No. So yeah. there, I think talking to the different people that I was also dealing with the uh, detector physics groups, mm-hmm. as well as we have to take so detector physics groups where we take inputs from. And physics groups where we have to—they are our users. Users, okay. Right. Nice. So these objects. So that was, I think, made me appreciate the people who are working there and making the whole thing success, successful. Wonderful. I think my appreciation for them actually yeah. came out. Came, came out. Very, very nice. Very Until nice. then, we don't realize, realize that how these big collaborations work and how these big projects work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to have a core group. Who is like really hundred and ten percent time for that period? That period of time. Otherwise, none of these big mega science projects or anything cannot work. Can, cannot, yeah, it cannot work without a very. And so the desk, a single person has to be there all the time. Hmm. Hmm. At that point, you have taken the responsibility. You have to like be on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my appreciation for the people who are actually in the operations and the commissioning and everything, I think. Yeah, it shot up quite a bit. <laughs> it shot up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because even even with a small group. You know, yeah. even people who take initiatives yeah, and, and yeah. do a, a kind of a, yeah. take some specific kind of uh, viewpoints and yeah, uh, and also I think we have to sort of start appreciating or acknowledging the different groups, people sitting in the different corners of the world, have their different strengths and different weaknesses. Weaknesses, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. so we have to sort of bring out that okay, what best we can get from them. Get from them, absolutely, right. absolutely. So it cannot be like just like sort of a managerial that okay, fine, do this, do this one by n and done. It doesn't work. That. It doesn't work. That it doesn't way. work. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once I finished my JetMet conventorship, I was uh, given an opportunity to lead the supersymmetry group, mm-hmm. which is again the physics group and search, mostly searches. I think that was again uh, challenging in the sense that we were finishing our run two program. It mm-hmm. was the end of twenty eighteen, and we had a lot of data, which was the first time that we had such a big data set. Data set. And try to put it all together and get the results out. Physics papers out. Nice. So nice. I think that was fun. Yeah, and also so, challenging, right? Because it's also challenging, challenging, but then we have a like. Uh, I think in both the this thing, I would say that okay, I was uh, very lucky to have very good set of people who were leading the various subgroups. Nice, nice. Right, so that team was really strong, strong in both the cases. Strong in both these like uh, tenures, terms. Wonderful, wonderful. So, so te- tell us a little bit more about what is your current research interest? What have you been working on, and what is what is your group also looking at? Yeah. So after I joined here, we were um, still. It was the first time we were getting the um, data or the PP collisions at the thirteen TV, which is the highest energy, and now we are running at thirteen point six. So I wanted to continue with the new physics searches. So that's what I did with my uh, students, mm-hmm. like looking for the supersymmetry and the hadronic. Physics, which is more challenging, but also because uh, it's more connected with the detector, with the problems happening, and also you have to 
I mean, one of some of the searches are really understanding your detector properly. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a so crucial element. That was a crucial element. So I enjoy those things even today. But then we sort of diversified into like some of the like uh, adding one photon in the final state. That was I think first time we did it. In fact, when the referee reports came with my first student who graduated for the paper, when the referee reports came, it was like uh, it's for the first time done in the CMS and Atlas, and that felt good. That felt very good. That right? felt very yeah, good. Yeah, so true. so that way I think we sort of expanded a bit, and still it was a new physics searches. But then we started talking about uh, for the detector upgrade, the CMS detector upgrade for the high luminosity LHC run. Nice. So nice. that is supposed to start at the end of this decade. But then it will be really the, as I said, high luminosity. So we will be, so in last 10 years, whatever data we have collected, we will be collecting 10 times more data in those 10 years. Wow. Okay. It's, it's so kind really of intensity. intensity that means you have a lot of radiation mm. and especially forward detectors they will be highly exposed to the radiation. Mm. So we have to replace the current detectors with the radiation hard detectors. Nice. So the technology completely changes. Changes it, okay. And calorimetry has been my interest mm. and this is an opportunity which came up that uh, India is contributing to it, the India CMS group. So we have, it's a silicon based detector. Okay. So we have the layers of the silicon sensors mm. and then there is some sort of an absorber, either it is the lead or for the stainless steel. Mm. And then behind that is again the scintillator, scintillator detectors. Nice. It's a small Scintillators with nice, this uh, very small pieces of like a uh, few centimeter by few centimeter, mm -hmm. and they have the silicon photomolecular press really mounted on them. On on so, top of that, it's yeah. so it's like sort of a piece which is beautiful. Okay. So then my student uh, he participated in the test wing in 2018 and he got interested in this thing and that's so it's one of the things. One which of the continue. things which yeah. was continued. So I think um, it was Shubham, uh, Shubham was the student and he okay. already graduated. Uh, so I think his work was quite appreciated in the CMS. CMS, yeah. He actually yeah. got the CMS Ajikal yeah, award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CMS that, uh, Achievement Award Achievement for that award one. Also, yes, so, yes. Uh, the CMS award, not the Achievement Award, but I will probably correct this. Yeah, so Shubham also got the CMS uh, award for this particular contribution to the Ajikal test beams and the pan analysis. So, I think what we decided that now we had an access to the real data. Mm -hmm. Because we have the, again, shooting the single particles in the detector. Mm -hmm. But now, this detector is very highly granular, which we don't have that kind of strength in the current detector. current detector. So, that allows us to really sort of take this snapshot of what is happening event by event in each shower. Nice. Okay? So, then my next student, she picked up and since we have the like handle over the data, we could really try this advanced machine learning algorithms. So, we are actually using the graphical neural networks and trying to see that where we can improve, improve. and the resolution can be... Like improved by like factor of two and that's something fantastic wonderful so we are just like sort of wrapping up that project and writing paper for that nice so nice. i think uh, that project is very very interesting, interesting. and challenging technically mm -hmm. it's going to be challenging yeah because yeah you because you'll have to implement six, i mean millions of like uh, independent channels without so but even i think that project will be more interesting as we start moving towards actually uh, deploying the detector is because Calibration and all, we have to pay attention in detail. So, mm -hmm. some of my master's students have been working on those and I learned a lot from them. So, what is the big picture, what you're trying to understand if for, a, for let's say, general audience, if they want to understand, what, what so is the big picture in this? Big picture is that we want to understand, I mean, my usual statement in any my outreach talk has been that we want to understand what are the fundamental constraints of the universe and how they interact with each other so that we see the world around or the universe around the way it is right now. Yes, okay. yes. So, the idea is that there are different ways of doing it. We know the established physics part and we can formulate it the, in the like sort of understanding so far in the standard model. So, standard model is a theoretical model based mm -hmm. on the quantum field theory. 
but it has inputs from almost a century of the experience. Expert, yeah, yeah. Right. So one is that to try to understand it better and better, because whatever we have measured, it always comes with the uncertainty. For example, the Higgs sector or the top sector, top box sector, we can still have a lot of margin there to reduce the uncertainties and try to say if there is major telling us something, mm-hmm. or go for the direct new physics searches. Okay. Okay. So I mean, generally, what we are talking about, we know that the standard model is not complete. It doesn't explain many things like standard, uh, the dark matter, or it can be some calculations which are related to the Higgs boson mass. So we know something more is going on, right? So I can directly search for that. So there are various theoretical extensions of the standard model, but then they can predict new particles, mm-hmm. right? So we can go towards that one, or it can be a sort of two sort of coming together that you do the precision measurement and try to see if we can really sort of constrain the new physics new physics okay. scenarios. Nice. So the overall picture right now for me is essentially going after the uh, like sort of what is going on beyond the standard model. But I might be slightly want to change my tools a little bit and want to go for more for the precision measurements. Precision now. measurements and other things. And the detector part continues because that's not only my interest, it is needed for these students. Mm, mm, yeah. Just doing only the high level data analysis in my mind is not sufficient. Because they need to get feel for like what they are doing. What they are doing. Going. And secondly, we need to build up the people who can really understand the detector and build the detectors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because to collect the data, we need the detectors. Detectors. Absolutely. So, so is there, I think is that's sort of a mixed sort of uh, two-pronged approach which I have. So that the students get the full exposure. Full exposure for that. So I'm not like too much into instrumentation, but I do like to do some things hands-on for the... Basically, for the uh, interest of the students and training the students and understanding the system myself. System uh, yourself. So, in this context, uh, how, what is the current scenario in India? For example, if there's somebody wants to really do such experiments, large scale kind of multinational experiments, is there some specific effort within uh, within India which is uh, kind of uh, targeted towards, or is there? Uh, Something which within Indian uh, experimental situation, there is a progress which has been made. So, one thing is very clear that we cannot have multiple LHCs. Yeah, of course, of course, right. you're right. But um, I think we do need to have um, something in-house such yes. program. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Because we have uh, like sort of uh, decades of experience in the cosmic ray and then lab and then the LHC and Tevatron, Bell, quite yes, a few. Yes, right? yes. But there are other also experiments which are like more of the high ion one, like the Rick or Star or Alice now. So what is important, like the INO was in this direction, right? That you mm. want to have some in-house one effort here. Yeah, it's a INO uh, is Indian neutrino observatory. Yeah. 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 So I think that should be pursued. Unfortunately, mm. it went into the different uh, kind of problems. Mm. And, you know, I'm not sure actually what is the status status like, of uh, that. Yeah, proceeding further is. Yeah. But I think Professor Naba is uh, really Professor Naba, yeah. yeah. Professor Naba yeah. who was sort of uh, heavily involved in the initial mm. phase, and now Govinda Majumdar uh, no. at TIFR, he was uh, nice. Quite, nice. I think uh, he has been involved in it. But they have been trying a lot that I am aware of, and. Uh, such experiments, I think we need to encourage. Encourage. and uh, Also, I think like, for example, there can be uh, sort of like this kind of the neutral experiments are dark matter experiments. Mm. I think these things should be encouraged. Encouraged a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's quite a bit of interest for uh, very large scale experiments. Even the LIGO has come up very LIGO big, is coming up. Coming yes. up here yes. and uh, recently yes. also there's a lot of Indigo is the one which is... Uh, yeah, so uh, I think we have participated a lot. Hmm, hmm. We need to really sort of now... Yeah. 
But there is a problem in the sense that okay, we don't have uh, any dedicated research facility mm. in India. Mm. So, for example, you, I think Daisy part, for example, which might be common interest to us. Mm. Mm. Like what? Daisy is a particular physics laboratory. Can you can you expand the term? Uh, if you, I can always dig it up and. No, of so I'll, I think it's more of a so it's a sort of the like CERN or Formulab or something like hmm. uh, these kind of uh, facilities. CERN, Daisy is also one of them, but okay. we can talk about CERN, CERN. for example. Okay. Let's not get into Daisy part. Right? Okay, okay. So CERN is still a mega mega project, mega yeah. uh, like global thing. Yes, yes. Right, but as a country, for example, uh, we don't have any uh, sort of research facility which can be uh, really have variety of high tech. Or the state of facilities under one roof. One roof, yes. Right? Yes. And it's not about the facilities, it's about the expertise mm. which is needed. Right? Because the energy kind of experiments, or in fact, for that matter, any condensed matter experiments or the optics experiments these days, they really go for the precision instruments. Absolutely, now. absolutely. You're absolutely right. Without right. that, it is not Without possible. Without that, it's not possible to easily do it. Do right? it. Yeah. So, and in HEP, kind of like the variety of expertise have to come together. True, right, true. be it material science, be it electronics, be it building the detectors, be it radiation physics, be it particle physics. A lot of things lot of have, the, to come have to come together. Yes, yes. So that's something which we lack. I think our common sort of example might be KEK. You went to KEK recently or no? No, no. no. I mean, so that I mean, might be yeah, yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is that one such facility where you have, like for example, the TFR might have mm. an access to, for example, Peloton, their facility and all. But what about the other university groups? Mm. How much access they have to the advanced facility facility yes okay and it's not about like buying uh, expensive equipment and keep it in my like sort of lab yes it's yes. about the expertise which sort of build around build around that particular uh, right. facility so for us it is not like for example the data acquisition you have mm. to scale it up like in lhc the example is that we are collecting the data every 25 nanoseconds we are digitizing and extracting that's the yeah. 40 megahertz is the collision rate collision rate yes, yes right so if you want to have that kind of automatic direct vision rate it is not about like turning the knobs and I can just get it from the oscilloscope mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there has to be sort of full uh, development which has to happen which has to happen there and yes. then you would be able to do that absolutely so and the thing is that okay to start as the smaller groups we can always have it like for example the silicon detector which I talked about for the HLLSC right we will have like something like 25,000 modules of one type in the final detector but I can always have a test stand, which is one module, which in fact I have in the lab here for okay. training the students. Nice, nice. Okay, so there you can learn it like how the various things are coming in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What the DAC part is basically, what your, how your computer is talking to your detector and getting the information, information out of that. Yeah. So the starting point, that is fine. But if you want to scale it up, it needs a different uh, level of effort. Level of effort. So now that we have got a very good kind of uh, picture of the kind of work what you have been doing, and you also have been training a lot of students who have done very well as part of their PhD and uh, who are hopefully uh, the next generation of scientists who are going to work on these uh, important experiments. Yes, they don't have a choice. They have to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, they can also go into industry and other oh, yeah, things. Easily. Yeah, easily. They, easily. They, yeah, that's one of the good things about uh, working in an experimental lab. You would be also employable <laughs> in that sense. Uh, but in the in the broader context of uh, working with the Indian PhD students, I know that a lot of students do uh, take a lot of inspiration from you in terms of the way they want to build a career and other things. Uh, what has been your general observation within the within the framework of uh, PhD students and uh, especially in India? Uh, what is good and what is something you would probably want them to focus a little bit more? I think this is a difficult question for me because I somehow when I'm talking to students, they're students. I never bothered about their 
they are from here or i'm talking to somebody from outside yeah, yeah true true that's true that's true so i think the initial training matter hmm what we lack here is the uh, lot of exposure which the big groups might get get it okay easily outside hmm hmm right we are still in a smaller like experimental part like in isa for example there are only two faculty in cms cms okay but the particle physics and experimental particles is not about like just cms yes absolutely there is much more absolutely. going on around absolutely now with over the time with the zoom and all like the online seminars and all that it has sort of changed but it's not same as like being in that environment, environment exactly. so i think the regular travel of the students even to sound is important because not only they have to contribute to the experiment by doing shifts and all that but also this exposure, exposure there is something more going on absolutely the other thing i think our students somehow i am not sure if it is with outside or not so i can't comment like hmm. a compare it's not a comparative statement but sometimes the experience was that now like it's already done why should i do it i'm like okay fine you use your part your thinking and improve it yeah and when they see they okay they have done better than what is already published it's a different, different uh, uh, experience and different uh, sort of confidence which builds up absolutely right absolutely In so, fact, that is such an important part of training, right? Yes, Because, that's, uh, that's how you start thinking about yes. an important problem. Yes, yes. you get an exposure to yeah. the yeah. topic which yeah. has already been yeah. understood to yeah. reasonable extent, and you can also add something with your own creativity. That yes, yes, that is it. That can be as simple as that: how to present the things, mm. how you are presenting your results, or how are you sort of simplifying the complicated business. Absolutely, right. it can be anything, right? I mean. So, good thing about like sort of the Indian PhD students, which I think students I worked with, especially, where they were all motivated. Wonderful, wonderful. They were all like sort of wanted to get into science. So sometimes I tell them that okay, I have to come to office because they are in office. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> in fact, the, the students, as I've been actually always telling, even as part of the podcast, the learning happens on either side, right? Because we science. tend to also learn and uh, from the students, yeah. and there's a lot of learning. Actually, I am like, for example, now I'm learning more from my students' hard work than mm. yeah. what I am actually putting in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's something which is always we we are thankful yeah. about, especially in But experimental I, labs, yeah. and I'm sure that is the same in yeah. any other. Uh, But I think uh, endeavor, yeah. what is important is the initial mentoring. That is extremely important. Mm. Mm. But uh, the students, otherwise, I think. If they get the right exposure and right environment, they can do wonders. Wonders, yeah. I don't yeah. think they are lagging behind in anything. Absolutely, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's a it's an important thing, uh, especially if they realize that there's so much of interesting science which they can do. Uh, they can contribute the, a lot. Contribute a lot. That's true. That's true. I think for the science part, it's not about like only learning. It's also the fact that you have to contribute. You end up contributing. Contributing. If you're doing yeah. your part properly, you end up contributing. Absolutely. You don't have to make any extra effort for that. If, exactly, you don't have to go over and above yes. what you've already been doing. Yes. And ours is, I mean, I mean, like all these mega science projects, more of the contributory science. It's not about my paper or my this thing, right? Exactly. Okay. So there is a difference in the sort of cultural aspects of it. Working in a big yeah. collaborations, collaborations and other things. Yeah. I, I think the challenge always is that okay, in these big collaborations, how do you find out your own piece and be responsible for it? Absolutely. Because there is also a bit of ownership you can have of yes, the work, yes. and it also gives you some. At the same time, it is sharing also. Sharing also, also. exactly. Credits are shared. So, so it is a it's a kind of a wonderful thing, right? Because it's also a, an important model for probably the whole world, because uh, you really are working towards a common goal, and you are bringing people from various different cultures, backgrounds. Yes. I think that is underappreciated. In fact, that's a great that model for exactly the whole. That's <laughs> exactly what is underappreciated about these bigger projects. Exactly, mega science projects. Yes. So for me, going to San Ivan today is sort of even though when I'm tired or something, it's mentally exciting because it's again I'm talking to the group of people 
with whom I am working towards meeting the same goal. Absolutely. Right. And no, that's a, that's actually a very important thing. Very uh, important. Uh, very important thing. So I think that's how the particle physics sort of got streamlined and organized in some sense. Mm. Mm. But that doesn't mean that okay, everything has to go this way only. We also have these smaller experiments smaller all across experiments. the world. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely. No, that culture, you know, that of course particle physics has its roots from nuclear physics. And uh, the culture of experimentation yes. is so strong. In fact, that is one of the, uh, probably the most beautiful aspect of this uh, yeah. sub-discipline in physics is that that jugalbandi between experiments and theory is so strong, Actually, right? Actually, yeah. that jugalbandi is what got me excited into the science and <laughs> physics, especially particle physics. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Because the particle physics is close interaction the theorist and experiment. Experiments and that uh, thing. No, this is something I keep also telling yeah, my because initially the field was driven by the experimental observations. Absolutely. Then came the theory and then again the experimental. Experiment. And, uh, then there were some predictions which came out to be correct and we could measure some of the new uh, particles. And, and series of Nobel Prizes. And series of Nobel Prizes. <laughs> <laughs> There's always, I, I keep telling even to my uh, students that the competition between high energy particle physics and optics you know you if you see especially in laser physics also there's a lot of Nobel prizes yeah. and uh, generally you will also tend to see some yeah, or other things you know what it's more than Nobel prizes something different so yeah. I read about like for example this electrovic symmetry breaking and Higgs mechanism and all in my MSc for the first time that's when I was exposed exposed to right I mean post introduction but when the Higgs was discovered I was already in the CMS, CMS. and I was at CERN that time Oh, when the discovery happened? When it was announced. Oh, wonderful. The, wonderful. How was it? How was that? Uh, that would have been great, exciting. Yeah, time, so right? I could not make it to the main auditorium. It was it's crowded, crowded. And blocked and everything. <laughs> but I, had in the, I was in the other room where it was transmitted. Okay. And it was announced anyways uh, in uh, the IHF conference. So, yes. So, I think even I could see the sort of those equations materializing. I don't know how Higgs would have felt. <laughs> <laughs> True, true. That's true. In fact, Higgs himself so, actually I mean, has mentioned that, yeah, right? Because so, uh, he, I can't have imagined that how he was feeling. Because yeah. to me, it was more than Nobel Prize already. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. exciting. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's kind of also you yeah. know co-participant yeah. in the whole so, discovery. Unfortunately, we have not discovered anything beyond, beyond that. Set. So let's see. Research continues. Yeah, yeah. But it also about like really sort of catching up with the new technologies and yeah, all the experimental experimental uh, aspects and, and uh, other things. Yeah. With all these like sort of experimental techniques, not about the detectors, but also the uh, analysis techniques, techniques right? All yeah. this machine learning and all. See, machine learning has been there for ages, right? Yes. It's nothing yes. new that came mm-hmm. out. It's just the computing resources have grown up so, so much that you can vastly. really use all these complex uh, algorithms. And there have been developments in the like both computer science and the mathematics, mathematics right? and uh, which we can pull now and start uh, like uh, employing it for our problems. Wonderful, wonderful. That's actually so, something which is very valuable. Also going further and that's yes. something is yes. very important. So it's like sort of like is the physics part of it which we are looking after but then there are like tools hmm. Hmm. and the experimental part of it. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now we'll switch a little bit about your interests. You did mention that you, you read and uh, probably also maybe having some other hobbies. Do you, do you have any specific hobbies? There's I don't know <laughs> what hobbies <laughs> I have. <laughs> so I was, um, I think from childhood, I was more of an introvert person. Mm-hmm. So, but I think many things changed over the time, hobbies and all this stuff. But I think my uh, sort of love for reading did not diminish. That did not change. Wonderful, wonderful. So I think I was fond of reading from my childhood, mm. and grew up in a very sort of uh, parents were quite religious mm. and uh, it was quite conservative family. But then the books were 
different kinds kinds yeah nice yeah but i think i grew up in fact i used to love hindu mythology hindu mythology yeah. i still love it yeah yeah you still read them or uh, not much not, not so much. i don't have that kind of patience anymore okay, yeah, yeah but anything and everything can happen you can choose what is possible and what is not <laughs> yeah no. that actually helps me to <laughs> appreciate like, uh, appreciate like okay fine yeah what yeah. are the realities and what are not Absolutely. you don't have to start arguing with everyone and all yes but you can build up your own reasoning and have a like sort of acceptance as Except- well as the openness absolutely absolutely there's a, that's a, that's something which is very important yeah, for so us no to, i don't read but i still sort of have nostalgia feeling about those, those uh, uh, times when i used to love it absolutely absolutely in so, fact uh, th- that is an important point and uh, th- which means that you also have have a kind of a inclination towards some kind of genre of uh, reading including novels and other things yes so that's how i started right mm-hmm. i mean then i think uh, whatever books were available that time mm-hmm. i mean i would just like love to read it mm. and mahani's college the library was library yes so there in fact the literature section was also very rich nice. so there i end up reading a lot of books and that's actually when i started i think it was mix of the things like mm. uh, earlier novels were less but after bsc to more because exposure was not there yeah. but then i also read a lot of like uh, or the sort of what generally sort of appreciated ones like premchand and all i think Prem i read Chan. all his novels at that at some point nice nice all his writings in that way over the time I think I got into a little bit into the English classics a little bit of those novels again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some of the books like I don't think I can read them now but I thoroughly enjoyed that enjoyed it was a different exposure I think I was more exploring exploring absolutely yeah. absolutely then I think uh, I got interested in the history part of it yes nice nice so part of it I think thanks to again my PhD supervisor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he is well read Mm-hmm. So, what kind of books you you really love about these kind of genres? What you just mentioned, you you have a yeah, so specific... it keeps changing. Ah, oh. mm. I can sort of keep switching here and there. Here, okay. Yeah. So, but at some point time, I think I was just introduced to uh, like some of the books by Darimpal. And Darimpal, yes, yeah, yeah. It. yeah. There's a new book also. It's, 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 uh, yeah. So sometimes they become too thorough and interesting, but I still love those. They, yes. But then I think just before uh, this was an interesting one. So just before I was moving to Farmila as postdoc. I just went to one of the bookshops in Kolaba and there was an elderly person tha uncle I need something for the history of India yeah. and he was like these are the two books I highly appreciate I think those were excellent books Okay okay So there was a wonder uh, that was India wonder that is Yeah so I was talking to my this uh, just for us at that time my ex sort of like uh, yeah. he was already uh, at Family Lab so he was uh, so I was chatting with him about various projects and all but our interaction with the non physics stuff continued hmm. So that time I think he introduced me to some of the books and that's when I also got introduced to the uh, history around World War 2. Nice. And nice. that's where the connection with the particle physics and nuclear physics part comes in. And that's still one of my favorites. Favorite. Wow, that's a, in fact uh, I still do learn a lot because when that's what happens that I read but I don't remember much because it's more of the experience. Experience. Not yes. for like remembering the things. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I miss out. Yes, but I still love reading those parts. Absolutely. In fact, I, I always so, keep telling. In fact, uh, Steven Weinberg, who is a celebrated, you know, particle physicist, who also was a Nobel laureate, he has this uh, four golden lessons, very famous article. I keep referring yeah. to in my podcast, and there he mentions about why reading history is so important. It's right? it's, ex- it's extremely important for, because it doesn't give the perspective otherwise. Otherwise, absolutely. Science is in human pursuit, like humanity. Absolutely correct. The, 
like sort of as a pursuit like it doesn't give otherwise absolutely right i i totally endorse that no, point no not only that i think okay. it also helped me to understand the physics better physics better so. no no this is precisely why i also am very interested yeah. in that because your understanding of the physics yes. is much richer yes and uh, you would also get to understand nuances yeah. of the yeah. subject yeah. more thoroughly yeah. by by yeah. Yeah. and also the fact that uh, i mean the fact that okay fine this one statement is not like one example is not the base of a completely new breakthrough uh, uh, of yes. a new idea new idea yeah. exactly it's it's an evolution which we will launch it's an evolution which goes yeah yeah true that we miss out yes absolutely right absolutely right that's wonderful that's yeah. a so, fascinating yeah but then i think i was also reading um, i'm forgetting the name of the author but the uh, science and history mm. set of four books that is interesting nice um, nice wonderful so it's like different kinds of uh, like trying to look for the same thing like how the societies developed why some uh, communities became much more advanced, advanced compared then. to others yes yes it's not that okay find the actual human evolution started somewhere it's just the resources that were the resources what the requirement was there. requirement you're right right you even so, if you look at the uh, so the onset of agriculture uh, for example it generally is around the places where there is a lot of water and there's a human settlement close to a river yes. uh, habitual aspects of it there's some yeah. fascinating uh, evolution uh, in happening there great so, that is actually so very those very type of things i think i think reading is for me it's important otherwise i won't survive yeah yeah no no it's something you know as scientists uh, that that constant renewal is very very crucial actually yeah so i think at times it was also for me run away from all the sort of problems of that point Yeah. Reading, I'm yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So yeah. that sort of helped me to calm down, calm down, and relax, relax. and uh, that's something which is very crucial. And uh, especially people who are deeply involved in some work, they need yes. a let out yes. of uh, some kind, which is very necessary. That's a crucial element of it. So other than that, yeah, I used to try whatever. I mean, small things here and there. Uh-huh. After COVID, I'm cooking for myself, so even that becomes experimental. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's very nice that's so, okay. <laughs> nice so one of the things what we do in the podcast especially with the guests is also i request them to just speak a few kind of sentences regarding their work in their mother tongue so uh, i would request you to just uh, kind of tell our uh, listeners a little bit about your work and your motivations in your mother tongue and this is a trend we we have in the podcast and it would be nice to have your input uh, तो बचपन से लेके कॉलेज से लेके यूनिवर्सिटी से लेके पीएचडी और अब यहाँ पे फैकल्टी सारी बातें की हैं राइट मतलब मुझे जब तक जितना समझ में आया विज्ञान भी एक जीने का तरीका है यू हैव टू लाइक सॉर्ट ऑफ अपने रीजनिंग डेवलप करो अपने लॉजिक डेवलप करो ये नहीं है कि हर किसी को जाकर के एक्सपेरिमेंट ही करना है लैब में ऐसा भी नहीं है कि जाकर के इंस्ट्रूमेंट के नॉब्स लाइक चेंज करने बटन घुमाने ऐसा कुछ नहीं है राइट मतलब रीजनिंग जो डेवलप होती है ओवर द टाइम वक्त के साथ में पढ़ने के साथ में आई थिंक वो लाइफ के हर एरिया में नजर आती है अगर तुम कभी फाइनेंशियल प्रॉब्लम भी आ जाओ ना तो भी नजर आएगी वो किसको कैसे बाहर आते हो उससे ओके सो सबसे ज्यादा इंपॉर्टेंट है जबकि हम लोग ग्रो कर रहे हैं बड़े हो रहे हैं जिज्ञासा ओके एंड रीडिंग ये दोनों चीजें बहुत ज्यादा जरूरी है बहुत ओके जिज्ञासा का मतलब ये नहीं कि हर को जाकर कि घर पे एक टीवी सेट है उसको पूरा खोल करके इतना ही करना है कि उसको वापस न जोड़ पाओ जिज्ञासा का मतलब ये नहीं कि चीजें बर्बाद करनी है जिज्ञासा मतलब ये है कि जो कर रहे हैं उस पर एक बार ध्यान दो दो और वहां से तुम्हें मिल जाएगा लिंक आगे क्या करना है तो बाकी 
जैसे जैसे बड़े होते हैं साइंस में रहते हैं तो हम लोग अपने रिसर्च प्रॉब्लम्स ढूंढ लेते हैं किस पे शोध करना है किस चीज पे फोकस करना है वो अपने आप आएंगे धीरे धीरे तो मेरा जो काम है वो पार्टिकल फिजिक्स में है ट्राइंग टू अंडरस्टैंड कि एलिमेंट्री पार्टिकल्स क्या होते हैं एलिमेंट्री पार्टिकल्स का मतलब कि उनका कोई मतलब आंतरिक स्ट्रक्चर और नहीं है लाइक वो एक पॉइंट पार्टिकल की तरह तो अभी रिसर्च उसी में जा रही है वंडरफुल वंडरफुल thank you very much ima that was wonderful because see this is this is a, a kind of deliberate effort why i am trying to make people speak in their uh, mother tongue because that is a very crucial factor uh, in motivating I understand. yeah, But, yeah uh, that is an important thing that's what i said no that in the initial education that was very important factor for me mm, mm. at this point doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah yeah exactly see once you are at a different stage yeah. maybe you will not be able to kind of uh, you know put emphasis on that but uh, while growing up it makes it's, a, it's, a lot of difference important. yeah because if uh, there is a potential listener <laughs> actually yeah so it might be that now how the things have changed i don't know hmm. what i am saying is that from my experience 30 years ago that was important yes yes absolutely right now i mean if the parents of my age group they are all like sort of equal with english and probably there is no matter to them So we also have to grow up. Grow up, absolutely. According to what the requirement of the time requirement is. Requirement is the time is. No, this is something which is very crucial, very very uh, kind of uh, in depth uh, mm. kind of stuff. What is uh, uh, required for one to become a scientist it needs effort yeah. from every the every. The language should not be a barrier. Exactly, exactly. True, true. So actually, the first time I started speaking English was only after. Only in TFR. TFR. Yeah. Before that, we had the writing in English. The question papers were in English. Yes. Yes. Teaching in MSc was also in English, mm. partly, mm. sometimes English. But the actual me speaking happened only later. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's uh, that's something which is very crucial. So now that we are almost coming towards the conclusion, uh, what are the kind of uh, areas you would be looking forward to in terms of your research? What uh, new kind of uh, directions you would prefer to uh, see the field go towards and uh, in what direction you would uh, uh, you would actually want to proceed could you just tell us a few sentences about that so there are again the two aspects of it right that one is that we have to as an experimentalist as a particle physics experimentalist mm-hmm. my responsibility is also to churn the data Yes. In all possible ways. Mm-hmm. You cannot really leave out even a small phase space. Absolutely. So what I would like to go for change a little bit my direction and maybe look for like go towards more Higgs sector or the top sector mm-hmm. and try mm-hmm. to combine the measurements, precision measurements and the new physics searches. So because the dark matter question is still unanswered, it's still there, it's but still there, there can be mm-hmm. variety of ways one can answer that. Mm-hmm. So we have to see. So until now, what I was doing was really looking for the high. Uh, sort of very large missing transverse momentum mm-hmm. that some dark matter particle produced and just went away. Went away. Okay. Now I can try to look for maybe more particles which are visible in the detector. For example, the soft probes. Yes. The momentum is very less, so your signature in the detector is small. But then you have to overcome a large background to be make background make to sense of to make sense of that particular yeah. thing. Too. So that is something which direction which I would like to go for. I mean, exploring with some of the master's student. Nice. Pseudo scalars, nice. like he's beginning to pseudo scalars and trying to see, and. You know what? Even now, I think there is a lot which I don't know, mm. and that is the fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Simple things Sim- which we are just habitual of how they behave in a different momentum regime comes out. Absolutely. In fact, I I generally tell you know so, in 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 the podcast also I emphasize that 
a professor is a student for life. Yes, <laughs> that's it's a commitment to be a student for life. life. That's what I'm realizing <laughs> exactly. every, with my every next master's students, I realize that. <laughs> yes. And uh, the other aspect is essentially I told you that I would like to continue some involvement in the director physics part. Uh-huh. Okay. Not some involvement but a big chunk of involvement because mm. that is the future and that's what I enjoy and in that's important for the students to be students. able to appreciate the experiments. Nice. Nice. So that's something I keep trying on and off. Mm. Let's Wonderful, wonderful. It depends on how the students come up and I hope they stay interested in both the aspects. Yes, <laughs> it's fun. yes. Yeah, you also do a bit of uh, outreach activities, right? You do actually do some kind of uh, outreach for the CMS also? Yes, so mm. it's not like sort of formal assign mm. or any commitment that way, but I like to and love to interact with the students, the students, ones. Yeah. And for that, I do give whenever there's an opportunity to talk to them. Talk to them and uh, yes. they, uh, that's a crucial factor of building a good uh, com- community in terms of... Uh, and also I have come, I think I can now look back and see like it's not like immediately as a joining faculty that is still not away from my own experiences of younger being young. So I think now I think I can talk more freely about like why they are getting, what their fears are. Fears are and things. Nice, nice. Very nice. But yeah, I just sort of love to interact with those students. Those students also. Yeah. So I think my outreach has been more about that one, but not any like very large scale kind of thing. Yeah, because I know but, uh, within our department, so many students do come and uh, consult you and get your input. Yes, and, that and other is things. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's something which so, is very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the students, I think most of them know it that they are welcome to come anytime for whatever they want to talk about. Absolutely right. Absolutely. That is an open invitation. Open always, invitation. always great, great. Whether they are working with me, not working with me, whatever topic they want to talk about, I don't mind listening to them. Yes, like yeah. No, I, I know. Sometimes what happens is that they just need like. Some kind of a channel, <laughs> some channel to, some channel to, to sort of like. And sometimes you know what, you don't have to say anything, they just figure out their ways. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I, I kind of totally yeah. see the point what you're making. Great. This has been a great conversation. You thank know, you so I, I thank you very much for your time. Well, and also, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for the opportunity. Then there are a lot of things to revisit and, you know, uh, kind of think a little bit more about what you've been uh, kind of uh, telling. And uh, uh, hopefully the listeners will also be able to kind of uh, grasp many of the concepts. And uh, ultimately, you know, the motivation behind Pratidwani is to humanize science. So yes, in that sense, I think that's uh, important. That's, uh, that's, that's a important. crucial factor uh, what we are uh, looking towards. Yeah. So thank you again, Sigma. Yeah, thank you. you know? thank, thank you very much.